Uh, this morning, we're going to begin um, with the scripture from Colossians. This is a, a small town uh, outside of Ephesus uh, in Turkey. Uh, today, it's Turkey. At the time, it was Colossae. And um, I want us to share together these important words of how we discern God's will together. This is Paul's prayer for the early church. Let's share in it together. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, God. You want me to talk to you? Talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. What's this Joker doing now? Okay. All right, I'll try it your way. All right, Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please reach into my life. Uh, what the? Oh, yeah. I got you. How do we read the signs surrounding us in our daily lives? Lord, give me a sign. How about a truckload? What is God saying to us? How will we know if the leading is from God or our own fear or our own ego? 2020 is a big year. It's a big year this year with the presidential election. Have you heard that's coming around? With our denominational future in the balance in May, we'll have a general conference. Uh, some of you may, may have seen some things in the news on Friday afternoon. Um, it was a surprise to me, too. It's always great when I get my news from the New York Times. Um, but, but here's the thing that you would want to know. Um, no one makes any decisions for the United Methodist Church except general conference. That won't happen until May. So anything that you've heard is um, premature. Let's just say it like that. Um, we don't know what will happen in May. Uh, But we have delegates that are duly elected, and they will look at material, and there are lots and lots and lots and lots of proposals coming before the church as a whole, um, and they'll make some decisions then. Um, And so whatever has enough votes to get to the floor, those things will be heard, and those that don't, won't. Uh, This time last year, uh, we had another proposal that everybody was all spun up about. It never made it to the floor. So I just want you to know I'm not panicked. You don't panic. Uh, We're Acts 2. Uh, We've been asked to, we will be asked to, uh, as you may have heard, uh, or if you've been to church here, you know that we do three things primarily. We sing God's praises, we serve God's children, and we share God's salvation until Christ comes again. That's what we do. That's what we've been doing for 20 years. That's my intention to do it for the next 20. Amen? Amen. 
We'll just keep moving. All right. So with all that said, right, those things moving on, it's a big year uh, with our church, with our local church, with our families, with our friends, with our children. And big questions, this is good news, big questions are how we get big answers. So what is the biggest question you've asked God lately? Hopefully it's more than what should I have for dinner tonight? Sometimes that's a big question, you know, depending on what you're eating. But, um, you know, what's the biggest question you've asked God lately? And what is our big question as a church? We've been in ministry together now for two decades. We're about to embark on our third decade. This is the first Sunday of a completely new decade of ministry for us, 2020, 2020 to 2030. How will we live into this new decade of ministry together? We're going to talk about this uh, this month in January. It's a good, good place to start. Um, I had a friend of mine um, share with me a master class, and as I was searching for which one I was going to take, I came across this quote um, from Neil Gaiman. He says, writing a novel is like driving through the fog with one headlight out. Well, our faith journey is also like driving through the fog with one headlight out, isn't it? I mean, we need the light of Christ. We need the light of each other. We need the community of faith. We need the wisdom of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit to take part in everything bright and beautiful that God has for us, as Paul writes so beautifully to the early church. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding senior pastor here at Acts 2. I'm so glad to see you. It's so good to start the year together. And we are starting this new decade of ministry with this new sermon series, Seeing 2020. Get it? It's kind of clever. Yeah? So we're going to do that together. If you have your sermon notes, um, that's a tradition we have around here. I invite you to take those out. And as a way of introduction... Um, I want to just say this, and not, not all traditions believe this, but ours does. And that is that God is always speaking to us. Will you say that with me? God is always speaking to us. Always. Now, you may not hear him from time to time. I don't hear God from time to time. But it's not because God's not speaking. We just need to understand that. God is always speaking to us individually and as the people of God. Both. And it's very difficult, and some would say impossible, to know what God wants you to do individually if you don't have a community around you. Because direction without confirmation is delusion. We need to understand that. That in our tradition, and the tradition of the Holy Church for thousands of years, um, no one just stands up and says, hey, I'm a pastor. That doesn't happen in our tradition. It doesn't happen in all the historic faith traditions before us. That has to be confirmed. If there's one God speaking, God is speaking, then we ought to hear the same thing. Amen? And that's why the early churches and the early councils, they wouldn't move on things unless they had unanimity. They would wait until people heard the same thing. And it's often our impatience that tears us apart, not God's confusion. Our own egos get in the way. Our own agendas. And so God is always speaking to us individually and as the people of God. And this series is to help us understand what God is showing us. Uh, We could say saying to us, but it uh, doesn't work up with the vision piece. So the thing about God is God shows us, God tells us, God surrounds us with with God's love. And that's important that we know that. So um, if you've not yet come across the book Discernment by Henry Nouwen, I would recommend it to you. It's a powerful book. Uh, I've read through it a few times now, um, and it continues to speak to me. Uh, I think Henry uh, is one of the great um, leaders of the church in my lifetime. He's now passed. Um, But if you haven't read Henry now, and I recommend him to you. 
Um, and, and so much of what I'll be sharing with you is not just things that I've thought of, but things that have been shared through the tradition of the historic church for thousands of years. And so when we come to discernment, when we are rooted in prayer, that's the first piece. And in solitude, we actually have to quiet ourselves. And by the way, um, your smartphone is not allowed in your solitude. There's no such thing as solitude if you have your smartphone on you. Right? You actually have to check that down in order to be alone with God. So when we're listening for God in prayer, and we have actually space in our life to hear from God in solitude, and we're able to check that in community, right? so we're not just running off in every direction, it's in that place that signs are given to us in daily life. Real signs. Um, I love the movie Bruce Almighty. I think it's hilarious. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and the thing is, God does bring people into your life. Isn't that true? Isn't that how you came to faith? People brought you into life? Uh, and sometimes other people come into your life and you wonder if they're from God or someplace else. And, um, you know, when you're with them, uh, since we're in church, there's heck to pay, right? And there are other people that when you're with them, you seem to have a glimpse of heaven. So there are signs about the people that come into your life, the books that you read at just the right time, maybe the things you see as you scroll at just the right time. Maybe you spend some time in nature. Uh, a lot of men that I know, um, this kind of worship isn't really their thing, but you put them in a deer stand for a couple of days and they really have a sense of the holy. Being out there as the sun comes up. There's, there's places in nature as well as in books, as well as in people, and in the, in the sheer timing of it. I remember being on a 72-hour spiritual retreat one time and, and we sang the words, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. And the very moment that we sang that line, a family of deer walked right in front of us. We had not seen them before, and we had not seen them after. It was the timing of the singing of that line and the presence of God's creation that we were singing of that just happened at the right time. And we had a sense of the holy that maybe God was near. God was speaking to us. I have a friend that says, there is no such thing as a coincidence. There's only a God incidence. I like that. I hope it's true. So here's the thing. We are seeking discernment. And, and when we talk about discernment, uh, the way Nowen describes it, he says it's faithful living and listening to God's love and direction so that we can fulfill our individual calling, we all have that, and our shared mission. There are things, friends, that only you can do in this world. Really, only you. Now, there may be others that can do it kind of as well, but not as well. There are certain things that you alone can do in this world, and it's important that you do them. It's important to your children. It's important to your neighbors. It's important to your parents. It's important to your community. It's important to our world. Because when we don't do them, bad things happen. And it doesn't just affect us. And we'll see that more uh, when we continue in the scriptures in just a moment. But first of all, um, sometimes you don't know what something is unless you know what it's not. Does that make sense? So you're like, I'm not sure how to describe that, but I know what it's not. So what discernment is not. Um, and I hope this isn't too disturbing to you, but it is true. Discernment is not a step-by-step -step program or system. And so if your hope today was to come and get your three steps to always know what to do in every situation, I'm sorry. And if somebody else is going to sell you that, run. Because it's just not true. And it's not how the world works. It's not a step-by-step -step program. Uh, there are some overarching principles 
and truths that are true for all people in all times and all places that you can land on. But it's not a three-step easy way to know everything you need to know. The other thing is it's not a once-for-all decision for your critical moments in life. So you all remember the magic eight ball? Anybody ever have a magic eight ball? I'm 52, so I know these things. Um, if you're under 40, we had these little black balls that looked like an eight ball, and, and they had a little triangle in them, and you would shake them, and they would give you different answers. And so, like, should I marry this girl? And it'd be like, shake again, right? I mean, that was, that was, that's what you would get. So here's the thing. Discernment is not a magic eight ball. Um, and oftentimes, when people will come to me, they'll, they'll want to set up a, a visit with me, and really, this is what they're hoping for. They want to come to me and say, should I take this job? Well, I might be able to give you some feedback about that, um, but that might take a long time. It might take you weeks to know if you should take a job. It might take many voices for you to know whether you should take that job. Should I marry this person? Right? Um, If you're looking for somebody else to tell you whether you should marry a person or not, don't. Right? I mean, if you've got to go ask somebody, should I marry them? Don't marry them. You, You ought to have multiple confirmation around that. Where should I live? Where should I work? That's, discernment is not about that. Discernment covers all of that, but it's not this, yes, I made this decision, and so now that's, that's the rest of it forever. It's really a, a life uh, living into following God and God's voice. Following God's voice is a lifelong commitment to always remembering God first. Never forget that God is with you and that God loves you. He's not mad at you. And that you are in Christ, and Christ surrounds you in his love. And you're paying close attention to how the Holy Spirit is leading you in this time and in this place. And here's the crazy thing about ministry that I found. Sometimes there's something that absolutely worked perfectly in 2003 that does not work at all in 2019. And there are other things that did not work for us at all in 2006 that will work great in 2020. Isn't that true? Isn't that true in your life? Part of it's about timing. And so, so often in our lives, we think, oh, that didn't work. I tried that back in the 80s. Well, come on, friends. There are some things that will work beautifully in your life today that simply would not work because you weren't ready for them. But they're, you're ready now. So we have to always be testing and listening for the Holy Spirit and watching for others about, is it the right time? So Christian discernment is not the same thing as decision-making. It, it's not. Reaching a decision can be really straightforward. We consider goals and options. We make pros and cons. We, we do this list, right? So, so think about this. When, you, when you're making a decision, you make pros, you make cons. What's the difference between doing that and discernment? The difference is in the pros and cons list, we choose. Friends, in discernment, you never choose. God chooses. That's the difference. It's not about what you want. It's never been about what you want. It's never about what I want. It's about what God wants. Because God knows you perfectly. God loves you perfectly. And so whatever God has for you is the very best thing for you. So discernment, on the other hand, is about listening and watching for what God is saying, for what God is doing, and aligning our want with what God wants. Now that's a big question that we can wrestle with the rest of our lives. I'd really love for you to be honest with yourself this morning. And ask yourself the question, do you want what God wants? Do you? Or do you want God to give you what you want?
Those are two very different things. And if you're here today because you hope God will give you what you want, you're probably going to be disappointed. Unless what you want is what God wants, and then it's on its way. And that's why Jesus says that. He says, if you abide in me and I in you, ask God for whatever you want, and it's going to happen. Because you are now aligned with what God wants, and that always happens. God is ready to bless you, to give you what God wants to bring to the world. But here's the thing, which I think is good news. Sometimes it feels like bad news, and that is that we cannot control the Spirit. Say that with me. We cannot control the Spirit. The Gospel of John says the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. Sure, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You can't control God. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So our church will move and grow and change course as God leads us. As God leads us. Now, when I say that, there's some of you like, hold on a minute. Hold, hold on. It, we're, we're not just whatever, whatever. No, no, no. And you're right. It's not whatever will be, will be. Because as God leads, we wait, right? Because sometimes God says wait, and that's a very hard season for me, as it, I suppose. Any of y'all love to wait, picking the longest line at Walmart? You're like, oh, I think I'll, I just love to wait here a little longer. Oh, no, no, no. You don't have to look up from your phone. Just stay at the light. It's fine, right? This waiting thing can be tough for us. But in truth, when God says to act and we're scared, Maybe that's harder than waiting. We're like, can we go back to the waiting? Because when God says act, you better act. It's important. You imagine what would have happened to the Israelites as they fled through the, through the Red Sea. And uh, Moses open, you know, opens the Red Sea. God opens the Red Sea with the staff. And God says, go now. And they didn't. There would be no next chapter. That would have been the end of the story in Exodus. So you have to wait. They didn't like the waiting, but then God said go. And I'm sure there were people like, you want me to go through a sea with big waves on either side? That doesn't sound like a good plan. And we are to work with the Spirit. So we go when God says go. We we stay when God says stay. And we pray when God says pray. Now, all of this is important because the next thing I'm going to share with you has changed my life. I came across this. Um, in 2009, and uh, for the last 10 years, I've been living into it, and it is so true. It's a Jewish proverb. I want you to read it with me. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. That is absolutely true. So you have to ask yourself, how do you see the world? If the world is a very scary place to you, then you need to ask yourself, what are you scared of? And why is that true? If you have a, an almighty God who loves you and is all-powerful and is working for your good, always working for your good, then why do you see a good and wonderful God and a good and wonderful world as a place you need to be afraid? That's about you. It's not about the world. It's also not naive um, because there are bad things that happen in the world. Of course there are. But our life is founded in Christ in this life and the next. So whatever happens in this life or the next is good because we serve and live in a wonderful God, with a wonderful God. So we see the world as we are. And some of you, you've seen this in wonderful, um, wonderful examples in your life. You've had people come into your life that it didn't matter what happened. They were having a good day. 
Because that's who they were. They were deeply rooted and grounded in the love of God and in a community of faith. And they served people. Have you ever met those people that um, you may not even know their name, but when you're going to the YMCA or you're, you're out and you're going to a restaurant and you don't know them, but they open the door for you and they hold the door open for you and the next 15 people in your party and they smile at you and they say, welcome. And you say, do you work here? They say, no, I'm waiting on, you know, whoever, my, my wife or my children or my grandchildren or my husband or whatever. They're in the car texting. I just, you know, I just thought I'd be helpful while I was waiting. Does this make sense to you? These people exist. You can be them. You can. I hope you are. Particularly if you're wearing Acts 2 swag. Right? <laughs> so that would be great for us. Okay? So we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And when you have somebody who is just really coming undone, and you can't figure out what's going on because nothing in the world around you in the context... Um, would warrant that just know that they're struggling and have compassion for them you need not be frustrated by them because what you're seeing is who they are and they're having a hard time so we are people who bless and do not curse we pray for those who persecute us and we care for those who are hurting so when you see it be a person of blessing okay this is where you go okay yeah okay all right good All right, so we're going to use Jonah, the story of Jonah, uh, as our guide uh, for the next month, for for all of January. And this is a tough story because normally when we have characters in the Bible, we like to lift them up and say, hey, be like that. Not Jonah. Don't be Jonah. Jonah is a racist. He is a bigot. And he's a hypocrite. You do not want to be Jonah. Now, God's going to use Jonah anyway, and we're going to see that. But um, if you're lifting up Jonah with your kids... Pick a different model. Um, Because this is supposed to be a self-portrait about the problems that we all have. And it was particularly true for Israel at the time. Uh, The context is this. Um, Nineveh was known for bloodshed. Um, You get that from Jonah, but you also get it from the prophet Nahum. Um, Nineveh was a bad place. Um, So, the scripture says this in Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city. Now, anybody who heard this story the first time said, oh, wait, time out. That is not a great city. That is a terrible city. God was teaching them something new. And he says, actually, go cry out against it uh, because there's lots of problems there in Nineveh for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, you may or may not know this, but Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. Now, if, if you go back into Old Testament biblical history, you would remember that Assyria were, was the group that destroyed Israel the northern kingdom of Israel in 722. Scholars disagree about when Jonah was written, um, probably sometime between 722 all the way up to maybe three or 400. So there's about a three or 400 year swing that it could have been written. But all we know is um, Jonah would have known that Nineveh was no place any God-fearing Jew would want to be, ever. Because these were your enemies. These were the people that came in and killed your grandparents, your great-grandparents, cousins, uncles, uh, took your stuff, enslaved your people. And so God says, hey, Jonah, my prophet, and his name means dove, by the way, right? This gentle messenger of God, that's what his name means in Hebrew. He's nothing like that, although that's what God intends. And so I want to show you this map real quick. God says, go to Nineveh, which is a land trip, by the way. It's north and east. 
Um, and Jonah says, okay, I'm going to go to Joppa. I've actually been to Joppa. It's a, a neat little city. It's just south of Tel Aviv. You can walk it from Tel Aviv down. And it's, it's basically along the sea. And so where does um, Jonah choose to go? Is he going to go to Nineveh? No, where does he go? Tarshish, right there. Southern Spain, more than likely. Now, notice that if, if Mr. Jonah would have just gone to Nineveh, that's only about 500 miles. But he gets on a land trip, just like that. Boom, not far. But he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to go this way, <laughs> by sea, to the farthest place on the planet that I know of, away from where God wants me to be. Perhaps you've been there. I've been there. Haven't you? Because what God says seems outlandish. It seems terrible. Who would want to do that? So Nineveh is east, and Tarshish is what? Yes, it's west. It's the opposite place. And I would remind you that for, for the Hebrews at the time, Spain was the end of the world for them. Right? The Roman Empire basically went from Spain to where they were, and that was everything they knew. And so what we find in the story is that Jonah is going as far away from where God wants him as he knows how to be. That's what you're supposed to know from this. So, the scriptures say that Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. By the way, you can't do that. God knows right where you are, wherever you go. And so, he goes down to Joppa, and he finds a ship, he goes to Tarshish, he pays his fare, he goes on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And so, this self-portrait shows us um, who we really are. And that's, that's the point of Jonah, for us to see ourselves clearly. And that is a radical prayer, friends. Lord, show us who we really are. And so notice that in the first part of the story, God calls Jonah. I want you to go here. Do you all remember toddlers? If you have toddlers, some of you have toddlers now. And you say, come here. And they run the other way. Has that ever happened to you? They don't want to go to bed. They don't want to take a shower. They don't want to eat their peas. They don't want to clean up their room. So you say, come here. And they go, other way. What do you do? Do you sit and go, well, they'll just come to their senses and come right back. I'm sure they will. No. You get up and you pick them up and you put them where you want them to be because you're big and they're little. And sometimes God does the same thing. The scripture says God stopped talking. He started acting. He goes to Jonah. And he creates a big wind upon the sea. And such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. So yes, God often speaks, but sometimes God acts to get our attention. Isn't that true? You look back on your life. God's asked you to do X. You do Y. Next thing you know, some crazy stuff's happening in your life. Because God's trying to get our attention. Sometimes God just acts. There's lots of ways for God to get our attention. Then the mariners were afraid. They didn't know what was going on, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. They're trying to lighten their load. And Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, in Hebrew, this is, this is much richer. What this means is that Jonah is trying to hide from God. He's going down uh, into uh, what would have been, this is all female language, would have been the womb of the ship, is deep down to hide from God. He's getting down, he's laying down, he's pulling the covers over his head. Right? He's as far away, secretive as he can be to try to get away from God. And the captain comes and says, what are you doing? 
What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps that God will spare us so that we do not perish. Their lives are at stake because of Jonah's disobedience. And we don't like to think about this. It's way too painful because when we disobey God, people are hurt and put at risk. This is just true. Drinking and driving is an easy example, right? We know not to do that, but people still do and people still die. Not the ones that are drinking often, because often they're so drunk they live through it. And they have to live through the manslaughter trial of the teenager or whoever else they killed as they cross the center line. This is just how life is, friends. And we say, oh, my sin won't hurt anybody. My, my disobedience doesn't hurt people. Yeah, it does. It kills people. It does. And we just need to own that. And we, we have to say, you know, I don't know how this disobedience is going to harm somebody else, but it will over time. And more than likely, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see all of it. In technicolor, we'll see the good stuff we did and the bad stuff we did, and we'll, we'll deal with it. So the sailors say to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they do, and guess what? It's Jonah. They had a feeling, because this hadn't happened to them before. And so they said to him, well, why don't you tell us why this calamity has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you like? What have you done to us? And this is a kicker. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. Read this with me. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That is a bold-faced lie. Is he worshiping the God of sea and dry land? No. He's doing the opposite of that. And he's paying for it, and so are they. He knows he's the God of the sea. Didn't change his mind. So the men were even more afraid, and they say to him, well, what did you do? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them so. Then they said to him, well, what shall we do to you, so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. Try that one on the fly. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. He does know. At least he's owning it now. And so they tried to row the, the ship back to the shore, which is a dumb idea, by the way, and everybody knew that. You don't try to row a, a ship next to the rocks with big winds. But they couldn't do it. For the sea grew more and more stormy. You, God's going to win, friends. That's the good news, by the way. God's going to win. God's going to win. And here's something that's very painful to me. And that is that people outside the faith can see our hypocrisy very clearly. I can remember in high school, um, sometimes I would be out with friends, and they were super religious, except on Saturday night. And it used to drive me crazy, because they would make some terrible decisions on Friday and Saturday, and then show up on Sunday as if they were the holy ones. And it used to drive me crazy. And sometimes they would do stuff that was so stupid that if it went down badly, it was going to affect me. I had a friend climb out the back of my car and get on my roof while I was going 60. That's dumb. But he was like, oh, I make great decisions. You should follow my example. (laughs) No, I'm not doing that. But we've all been there. When we see people who proclaim Christ and they act horribly, it just doesn't make any sense. And the world rightly so says, I don't want anything to do with that. So they cried out to the Lord. They did. Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased you. 
Have done as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and they throw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. It worked. <laughs> now, this is awesome. Do you realize that Jonah became a missionary in spite of himself? He didn't do anything right. He did everything wrong, and these people come to faith. Hey, that's who God is. So don't beat yourself up too badly if you're being a Jonah these days. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll start turning around. But um, God's going to do his work anyway in spite of us, and that's good news. Because the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You realize what this is like. You go out, you're a terrible witness, and your friends come to church and they give to the offering that's about to come up. That's a good day for God, in spite of us. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. And here's the other great thing about God. God gives Jonah a second chance. All the years I've read this story, I never put this together, and I don't know why. It's the Lord who provides the large fish to swallow him up. God is providing a different seaworthy vessel that's going to get Jonah where God wants him. If Jonah thought he was hiding in deep down before in the belly of a ship, try the belly of a fish. He's even lower and wetter, right? He's no longer high and dry. He is low and wet, as low as he can go in a fish. And then it happens for three days and three nights. Does that remind you of any other story, perhaps? God's always doing good work where there seems to be no hope. And then, you know what Jonah does? He prays to the Lord. Imagine that. This is where, uh, this is what happens when you say you hit bottom, right? He's in the belly of a yucky fish, and he decides, well, maybe I should talk to God again. Maybe that's where you are today. Do that. Because discernment begins with prayer, which is to allow yourself to be led. It's not telling God what to do. It's about finally coming to that place of surrender where we say, okay, God, not what I want, what you want. And if you come back next week, you'll find that where Jonah finds himself is right where he started. (laughs) That's what God does. If you won't listen to him, he'll take you and you get to try it again. He is a God of second chances. You don't, you don't skip the lesson. You just keep repeating it until you get it. And so he swallows him up. Next thing you know, he's back at Joppa. We'll talk about that. So our action steps are these, friends. Really big questions for us individually and as a church. Do you want to be fully seen by Jesus? Because he sees you. And the question is, will you own that with him? And then maybe a harder question that we're going to have to deal with. And that is, who are the people that God loves in this world that you don't? We all have them. But we need to talk to God about that. Because Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with those nasty Ninevites. They had a long history, hundreds of years of history, of reasons why he didn't want to have anything to do with them. He had good reason for it. We don't need to be too mean to him. And then, once you figure out who that is, by the way, you know who that is. Turn towards them. That's what repentance is. Turn towards them with the love of Jesus. And then today, and this is what baptism is about, make the decision to want what God wants. To just choose. From now on, you're going to align yourself, make the decision to want what God wants, and then follow him. Amen? Okay, next week. Um, maybe, you, maybe you're in this season, maybe you've been in this season. We need to figure out, is this truth 
or is it falsehood? Anybody hear fake news? Right? What's, what's real? What's not real? Uh, is this of God or is it something else? We're going to talk about how we do that next week. And the thing is, it, it takes community. Because notice that Jonah didn't have a community around him. God says, go to Nineveh. And he didn't go to a small group and say, what would you think? He just did what he wanted to do. And it caused him a lot of troubles. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you're always loving us and working for our good. Sometimes you're calling us and sometimes you're acting all around us that we would see the signs, the interconnectedness, the patterns that you've placed in our lives. Help us to want what you want, to go where you want us to go, and to be the people that you want us to be, fully aligned with you and the love of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.